Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. This is Mamma Mia Daily, the stories you need to hear today, read by the women who wrote them. I'm Melody Tay, editor of mamamia.com.au, and on today's show, what it's like to have your abusive father blame you for your mother's death. But first... Claire Stevens on wedding dress shopping with her mum. Mum, you're now banned. A very honest recap of my first time wedding dress shopping. By me, Claire Stevens. For reasons I refuse to go into, I've seen every single episode of Say Yes to the Dress. I'd always assumed the show was a brilliant work of fiction, a fun, comedic drama about over-emotional brides spending an alarming amount of money on a dress they plan to wear once. Over the course of approximately 3 million episodes, there are brides who change their mind at the final fitting. I aspire to this level of chaos. Brides who become pathologically obsessed with a truly heinous dress. And mothers who hate everything to the point where it's like, may you please sort out your fractured relationship in a context that isn't the television? But guys, after going wedding dress shopping for the first time, I realise there is precisely nothing fictional about this show. It turns out Say Yes to the Dress is a serious, factual documentary that we should all be watching for research purposes. From the social tension to the prices to the bridal lingo, the show is the only thing that prepared me for the world of shopping for a wedding dress, and here's an honest recap of exactly what happened. It's a Saturday. I'm taking my mum wedding dress shopping for the first time, and there are three things you should know about her. She hates capitalism, she hates shopping, and she hates a fuss. I've asked everyone on my Instagram where I should go wedding dress shopping, and the overwhelming recommendation has been Grace Loves Lace. There's a location in Sydney's Alexandria. I have no idea if I can afford it. I have no idea how it works logistically, but there's no time for that because we're already late. The appointment is for 12.30, but mum doesn't understand the idea of having an appointment for shopping. It's silly. In her defence, she is driving me, her 31-year-old daughter, to and from the store, so I can't really complain about her lateness but I need you to know that it's now 12.45 and we can't find a parking spot. I jump out of the car and run to the shop while mum starts a fight with a man in a car park and when I arrive, I'm sweating. There are huge mirrors and racks of dresses and my goodness, this isn't a normal shop, this is a showroom. I explain to the woman who greets me that I'm very late and also my mum will arrive sometime between now and never. My personal stylist shows me to my private styling suite and asks me a series of questions. When is my wedding? What's the venue? What style of dresses do I prefer? Where is your mum and is that her panting in the corner? Yes. With that information, she goes and pulls five dresses for me, while mum recounts her altercation with the parking man and takes a seat outside the suite. I'm asked to strip down to my undies, which is slightly awkward because I'm 80% sure I got my period on the way here and don't have a pad or tampon, but there's no time for that. We have our first dress. The stylist helps me put it on and it's time for my say yes to the dress moment. 
She pulls back the curtain to show mum her eldest daughter wearing a wedding dress for the first time. I'm expecting an overwhelming reaction. But mum is nowhere to be found. After a moment, I realise I can hear her. She's outside, on the phone, to a telemarketer. I quietly ask the stylist if she can alert my mum to the fact that I'm currently standing inside in a wedding dress, and she does. When mum sees me, she proceeds to explain that bloody telemarketers are criminals, and lady, I don't mean to be rude, but I think this is meant to be a moment from the movies. Once she's finished ranting, she asks, what am I looking at? I explain that I'm wearing a wedding dress, but she's confused. She says she can't have an opinion on it because it doesn't fit, and this is why I say yes to the dress needs to be required viewing. It's a sample dress, in a sample size. Once you buy it, you either get it altered, or if you have more time and money, they make it to fit you. Mum does not know this, so she's unimpressed. I tell her I quite like the back, and she points out that if I wore a low back on my wedding day, I'd be self-conscious about my posture, and okay, yes, that's correct, but why aren't you crying yet? It's time for dress number two, and at this point I have to be a little more coy sharing photos, because despite being cynical of the capitalist machine that is the wedding industrial complex, I'm weirdly superstitious about my partner seeing the dress before I walk down the aisle and he cries, because I look like an angel, and if he doesn't cry, I'll just get back in the car and go home. Mum has finished her argument with the telemarketer and quite likes this one. It's stretch lace and, like all Grace Loves Lace dresses, it doesn't have zippers or buttons, which makes it exceptionally comfortable. It's a fit and flare, which is a term I know exclusively from the television, and the sample size fits. Noticing that both mum and I are vibing the dress, the stylist adds a veil, just like Laurie does on Say Yes to the Dress Atlanta. This is how they do it. This is how they turn even the most unsentimental bride into someone who becomes obsessed with finding the perfect dress. And I am not complaining. Never in my life have I had a personal stylist who cares what I think when I try something on. Never have I had an audience for shopping, unless you count my sister, who might stand outside a change room to tell me those jeans look shit. It's completely bizarre but also fun, and everyone shut the hell up because I have more dresses to try on. Next, I try a style with a high neck. I notice that mum is on her phone, which annoys me until I realise she's sending photos to my auntie, who's a fashion designer, for feedback. She approves of the high neck, as do I, but I'm also distracted. Because at this point, for perhaps the first time in my life, I decide I quite like shopping, when what you're shopping for is the best quality dress you'll probably ever own. I then try a two-piece, which doesn't quite work because my torso is so short that the top overlaps with the skirt. Finally, I try a crepe de chine silk gown that I love. By this point, mum has taken on the role of professional bridal stylist because, yeah, she sat in this suite for 40 minutes and she therefore understands everything there is to know about wedding dresses. My stylist gives me a list of my favourite dresses with all the details I need to know should I want to purchase one. She's not pushy, which is refreshing, and explains that I do need to get in early because it takes months to make a dress to order and or get alterations. Mum's confused. She thought we could just get it off the rack and purchase it, and A, mum, please, but B, we're obviously going to explore that option too, sweetie. Ultimately, I'm surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I've only ever worn a full-length dress once and assumed they'd all look silly on a short person. But designers and stylists are geniuses who know exactly how to flatter even those of us who usually look like Gollum. By 2pm we're back to the car and mum still hates capitalism, shopping and a fuss. But she has just a few comments on that second dress because the neckline really was quite flattering. For over 50 years, my dad controlled my mum's every move. When she died, he blamed it on me. An anonymous submission read by me, Katie Stowe. And just a warning, this story deals with issues of abuse and coercive control. 
My mother died in January. It's been nine months and I haven't cried yet. No, I'm not cold or heartless or worse, a sociopath. Her death was expected as she had a long battle with breast cancer. Her death was a release from her pain, but that's not why I haven't cried yet. The fact is I may never cry because I have grieved my mother for a long time and it's not because of the knowledge she had terminal cancer. It's because I lost my mother a long time ago for a very different reason. My mother stopped being my mother due to the impact of coercive control and how it can change a person's identity at a profound level. To understand how this happened, I will need to explain. My mother's relationship with my father spanned over 50 years. At her memorial, my father gloated that in his 50 plus years of marriage, they had only spent five days apart. This was not something my siblings and I felt proud of. In fact, it sent a shiver down our collective spines. Like all of the decisions my parents made, this was his and his alone. My mother was not allowed to go on a girl's trip or visit friends or family overnight by herself. He usually never said no, but instead made it a nightmare if she tried, to the point where it was just easier to not even ask. Like many in her generation, my mother did not attend higher education. She was a country girl and any funds in the family went to her brother to become an accountant because, as my grandmother said, as he's male, he will be the main breadwinner. It was pragmatic, but in hindsight, profoundly unfair because my mother could have done anything. She was wicked smart, a clear communicator and very capable. However, my father turned her into someone with the lowest self-esteem I have ever witnessed. Slowly, her behavior, thoughts and actions became his and this is how I lost her. Up until recently, I had no language to describe how my mother ended up as this extended shell of my father, but then I discovered the term perspecticide. The years of emotional abuse and manipulation eroded my mother's sense of self. Her perspective on life died. Her opinion and actions became his. She turned into someone I didn't recognize. Her kind and generous spirit disappeared. When people ask me to give them an example of the kinds of behavior my father exhibited, I find it hard to explain just one that signifies what he was like. There were some significant incidents that happened, but mostly it was the little things. For some forms of coercive control, this is what it is, an accumulation of little things that equaled an abusive whole. It's the small belittling comment, the guilt-inducing comment, the tone of voice, the gaslighting, or the adult tantrum. One thing on its own would not raise much of an eyebrow, but the collection of behaviors and incidents is what makes it abusive. I'm ashamed to say that I was 37 before I started to really question what was wrong with our family dynamic. I always knew something wasn't right, but at the same time, it was just my reality. I didn't have the ability to understand or describe it. Looking back, I have realized that when you grow up in a family with a controlling parent who dominates the dynamic, you're reduced to playing a role to survive. My role was the compliant daughter who did well in school and never showed too much of my own thoughts. I only shared what he would like so that I would get his approval. As a family, we walked on eggshells around him. Our family mood was very much determined by his. But my number one feeling that I still have when I think about my father is fear. And it took me a long time to realize that this just isn't normal. My light bulb moment came out of a financial situation my husband and I had found ourselves in with my parents. It's a complicated story, but in short, my father did the wrong thing and made promises he didn't keep, lied and left us in a financially difficult situation. 
Of course, I had gone along with the initial plan because it was my parents and I didn't think to question anything as I was trained not to. However, when it all went pear-shaped, I did question what had happened and asked that he and my mum come to see us so we could sit down and discuss what had happened and work through a resolution as it was distressing for us all. Instead, my father refused and prevented my mother from seeing us and their only grandchildren for three years. I invited my mum to still see us, but she didn't come, even though she had the means to and she wanted to. He just wouldn't let her. There had been other incidents where my father made it difficult for my mother to be with us or spend time with her grandchildren. But this was the time I realised I couldn't be the silent, compliant daughter anymore. I had to remove myself from the family and just focus on my own little family as it was breaking me. She was an adult and if she accepted this as her life and would not stand up, I couldn't make her. I started to read about narcissistic abuse and learned that there was little I could do that would make my father accept what he had done or understand our perspective or ever apologize. I pleaded with my mother to acknowledge what had happened, but she always believed him no matter what evidence I put before her. I also learned that if I went low contact, I would end up being the villain in the story he told to explain the situation to others. So I stopped sharing any real information about my life. I reduced my phone calls to her and completely disengaged from her emotionally. I knew that if she couldn't protect herself from him, she certainly couldn't protect us. It was a survival instinct. About four years into my low contact with my mother, she found out her cancer from 12 years before had returned and it was terminal. She didn't know how long and she never disclosed any details about her exact condition, despite us all asking and offering to come to appointments. Knowing that she would not be around forever, I did try and get her to acknowledge the way she was being treated by my father. My husband, who actually has work experience with domestic violence victims, even sat her down and told her she was a victim. I wrote her a letter and shared parts of my life and expressed my love, but told her that I couldn't accept that she thought so poorly of me and believed I was capable of the awful things my father was saying. I was there at the hospital when my mother died but for the seven months before my mother's death, I had little contact with her. I know this will come with much judgment, but all I know is that even though she was still my mother biologically, my father had taken over her personality and she was no longer my mum. After the funeral, I have moved to zero contact with my father. His life, as it has always been, continues to be about himself with little regard for anyone else. I hear on the grapevine that he continues to blame me for the situation, And his latest is to tell everyone that my mother died of a broken heart because of me, not the cancer that ravaged her body. I don't ask for the details of most of what he says. I now know this is just the standard reaction of an abusive man that has lost control. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mamma Mia Daily. And for more from our writers, check out their profile links in the show notes. I'm Melody Tay, editor of mamamia.com.au. The show's producer is Claire O'Halloran and our audio editor is Tom Lyon. We'll be back tomorrow with the stories you need to hear read by the women who wrote them. See you then. If you love the show, the best thing you can do is become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Mamma Mia subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos and all the great articles on mamamia.com.au. It only costs $5.75 a month and there's a link in our show notes. If you're already a subscriber, thank you for the support.